Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome to the show. I am back. I am feeling great. I am feeling wonderful. Uh, I right off the bat, I apologize for my hiatus. Okay. Uh, sick kid last week. Um, you know, little stuff like that. The little ins and outs of life. Things happen. But I'm back, and let me let me start by telling you all, I am here to 100% ruffle feathers. I'm not even going to say I'm doing it on purpose, but I have noticed in the last week that the world, especially the sports world, we, we keep making the same mistakes. We keep doing the same stupid things over and over, making the same dumb decisions over and over. And I am here to set the record straight on a few issues. One in particular I'm very excited about and I am very well prepared and I dare you. Actually, I don't dare you. That sounds aggressive. <laughs> I don't dare you. But I welcome you to uh, to challenge me in this and let's have a conversation about it. What up, Cyber Family? If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally! So as I said, I am very excited. I got my notes here. Um, so the big thing I want to talk about today is I really want to get into this Lamar Jackson uh, contract drama with the Ravens. Um, he came out and uh, cleared the air via Twitter, um, stating that he formally requested a trade on the 2nd of March um, because the Ravens weren't meeting his value. And that immediately sent me into a tailspin of trying to figure out what exactly is the value and what exactly is happening and why is there such a debate over whether or not the Ravens should give him what he's asking for. I want to dive into that because I have some very interesting ideas on that, and I think that's important. But first, I want to start with uh, I want to start with something. This is for me, as I said, sports fans. We got to stop. We got to stop with this with this stuff. So, Kyrie Irving um, a few weeks ago was traded to the Mavericks to pair with Luca, and the question was, "Oh man, could this work? Could this not work? Maybe how's this going to work out?" Da 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 da. And sure enough. Um, I had posted online on my Instagram that I don't think this is going to work. And I wasn't saying it because I'm a genius or because I'm smart or because I'm contrarian, but just we've seen this before. How many times do we need to see the guy who isn't good for my team and I don't want him, but let's trade him somewhere else. And now he's going to get it. Like the way Kyrie plays is not going to work with Luca. It's just not going to. It doesn't matter what you say or do. It's not going to work. It just doesn't work. It never has. It never will. That's just the way it is. Kyrie needs to have the ball in his hand to be his most effective self. And if he's paired with a guy who also needs the ball, then they're going to start to take turns. And that player he's with has to be so great that he can do a lot with a little. Because you're going to have to kind of give some to Kyrie. When he played with LeBron, Kyrie, there were times where Kyrie would shoot as many, if not more times than LeBron. And LeBron was great enough to say, look, you can, I'll go ahead. I'll give you a little extra. Because that's LeBron. I don't need to get 35 shots in order to get 
my production or in order to help us win. But the problem is you also have Luca, who we want to ignore the fact that Luca is a baby. He is. He's young. Um, he's like the golden child in the NBA. Like he cries after every foul call. Like every time he gets every time he gets touched, he's crying to the refs. Every time. He's gonna cry, 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 cry. And now he's frustrated because look, Kyrie, the play styles don't match. But we've seen this before. But for some reason, there's still excitement. Who won the trade? Like we saw this happen with Westbrook. When Westbrook went to the Lakers. Actually, first it started when Westbrook got shipped out to the Rockets. And we thought that could work. Well, maybe this could work. It wasn't going to. Westbrook is who he is. Harden was who he is. It's not going to work. Then we saw him get traded over to the Lakers. And it was like, oh, man, like this is an interesting fit. They got a big three now. But when you looked at it, he doesn't fit with any of the guys that they have there. It's not going to work. But there's still a question of can this work? Why would it work? You've never seen it work. It's not going to work. It's not going. You have to know what you're getting. It's not going to work. This is happening in the NFL with Baker Mayfield. The Buccaneers picked up Baker Mayfield and like, well, maybe here with this coaching staff, with this roster, he can be better. Why? Why do you think he's going to be? He is what he is. You have multiple years. You have different locations. Baker is what Baker is. He can give you a string of games where he's a pretty good quarterback, and then he's going to give you a string of games where he's absolute dog do. And when you average it out, he's going to be right in the middle and be an average quarterback. That's what he is. We as sports fans keep trying to pretend like we can kind of reform somebody or put him in a different situation. He could be great. No, it's not. Look, I love Jared Goff. I do. I think Jared Goff is a really good quarterback. I think he deserves more credit than he gets. But Jared Goff's not playing better in Detroit than he did with the Rams. He's the same quarterback. You're getting the same level of production. So if you like it here, you liked it there. It's not different. Now, that's not to say that if you have a really good quarterback and you pair him with some really good receivers, yes, his numbers will improve. Sure. But Tom Brady's not going to be better or worse depending on who he's playing with. That's Tom Brady. LeBron James can go to a bad team and still be LeBron James, and you know LeBron James is good. You're not going to say, oh, he's trash, and then he's going to go to another team and all of a sudden be like, oh, whoa, he's really he's good. We were wrong. No, you weren't. You, you, you know what he is. Only, only silly fans, stupid fans who don't pay attention would have said things like Randy Moss in Oakland was done. And then when he went to the Patriots, like, oh, I guess we were wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. Because Randy Moss wasn't done. He was playing with a dog-do franchise, and a receiver is a completely dependent position. Receiver is completely dependent on the quarterback getting him the ball. If he doesn't have a quarterback to get him the ball, he can't put up production. It doesn't make him any better or worse depending on who he's playing with. He is who he is, but he's in a dependent position. So if he doesn't have the other factors to hand him the ball, he can't do anything. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about primarily basketball. You knew who Kyrie Irving was. You knew how he played. You know how he likes to play. You saw him in multiple different spots. You saw him go from Cleveland to then go to Boston. Then you saw him from Boston go to Brooklyn. Then you saw from Brooklyn. Now you got him in in Dallas. And you're making it seem as if you don't know what, we don't know his MO. You know his MO. He's not going to change. He is who he is. He is who he's been the last decade. 
That's what I don't understand. That's what I don't get, and that's what will blow my mind. So this past week, I heard a lot of different um, people in the sports world who I respect talking about Anthony Davis and how the Lakers should showcase Anthony Davis in the last stretch of the season to potentially trade him. And then they start giving you all these destinations like, oh, look, Golden State could use a big man. They might trade for him. That would be a great fit. Or, oh, this team needs. Guys, if he's your trash, why would he be someone else's treasure? If Anthony Davis was as good as you say he is or was as valuable as you say he is, the Lakers would not have to move him. The reality is, is we call Anthony Davis great. And my question is, is Anthony Davis great? Has he ever been great? What has he done to make you say he's great? Nothing other than be seven feet tall and he could shoot a three. That's it. At his very best, at his very best, he can be a 40 and 20 guy. Sure, at his best. But how often in a season are you getting his best? A handful of games. The rest of the year, you're either getting I'm sitting out because I'm hurt or I'm going to show up and not really produce to the level you think I'm capable of. So how is that great? We have lost our collective minds because we keep labeling everybody and everything as great because of potential, because of talent, because of what you can do at your best. And you must be great. No, greatness is doing it on a consistent basis. That's what makes you great. LeBron James did not get to the scoring title because he scored 55 points a game. No, it's because he scored 27 points a game over the course of 20 years. That is consistency that is why LeBron is great not because he did it for a year or for four years or for five years but he did it for his entire career that makes him great Anthony Davis his entire career if you really want to be honest about it how often has he lived up to your expectations very rarely you know when he's thrived you know when you've seen Anthony Davis at his best when he was the second guy with the Pelicans, oh, he was he was really good when they had Cousins, when they had another score, another guy who wanted to take on the responsibility of being the man. When it was on him, not so great. Not so much. When he went to L.A. in 2020 in the bubble and LeBron put it on his shoulders and said, yo, you could just be second string. Come on, follow me. He was good. He produced great. But even in that championship run, you still had moments where you said, oh, he should be doing more than that. The guy averages 24 and 10 for his career. 24 and 10. Is that great? Is that great? Is that is that what you would is that what you think his best is? Do you think that is his best? No, you don't. You think he could do more than that? He could do more than that. And that's why I think we need to stop with this with this great stuff. We need to stop with this great stuff. Another thing, another reason why I thought about this was because Ben Simmons is being shut down for the rest of the season by the Nets because of his back. And that was another guy where I was thinking, why does everyone, why does everyone keep saying what he could be? If he does this, he could be great. If he does this, he's really good. I'm going to ask the question, was, was Ben Simmons ever good? 
I've been coming in here since this show started saying Ben Simmons, if he was six foot three, would not be in the NBA. He wouldn't. Ben Simmons at six foot three is not in the NBA. But he's got decent handle, not great handle, decent handle. And he's six foot ten. And you could put him at a guard and you could have him guard the opposing team's point guard. And it's a matchup nightmare for them because he's so, so much bigger. But he's just as athletic. But at 6'3", he's one of them. His skills don't match up. He ain't in the NBA. And I said, I don't understand why anybody loves this guy. He's just a tall guy. (laughs) That is it. He's just tall. He has no offensive skill set. And since I've said it, this guy has dropped off an immense cliff. Sat out a whole year with Philly, wanted a trade. Now, I understand the Nets had to trade Harden. They had no choice. He, he needed to get out of there. It was a nightmare. And what they got back was Simmons. And I said, you know what? Like, it, it, you know, maybe, I guess. I mean, I don't want Simmons. But I guess if you have to take something back because you got to make the money match or whatever, cool. But Ben Simmons, I never thought was any good. Ben Simmons is not a good player. He's not a good player. He has, there's no one skill that he has that you could point to other than his size. That is it. All anyone ever talks about with Ben Simmons is, oh, he's six foot ten and he plays like a guard. But he can't shoot. His handle is not elite. He's just tall. <laughs> That's it. He's trash. Y'all better start giving me some credit on this stuff. He's trash. I don't mean to be blowing right through these topics, but man, I'm on fire today. I really want to get to this Lamar Jackson talk. Because it's very it's very layered and very detailed. But let me move on to something else that has happened. Uh, there is still no trade between the Packers and the Jets regarding Aaron Rodgers. But there is starting to be talk come out now about Aaron Rodgers because the owners' meetings are happening and people are being asked questions. And honestly, at this point, if I'm the Jets, I think unless they say, look, we're going to make the deal. Let's just hash out the points and don't worry about it. Regardless, at the end of the day, like we'll trade them. Don't worry. We can we can come up with something. I might pull out. I might pull out on this deal. As a fan, like, does anybody care anymore? There is absolutely no juice around this trade. And I think this is exactly why I would bet that the Jets missed the playoffs. Because Aaron Rodgers is a weird dude. And Aaron Rodgers, came, first of all, he came out and said that he came out of his darkness retreat and had and was shocked to know that the Packers wanted to move on. Well, apparently Packers Brash is coming out and saying, look, we tried to reach out to him. He didn't answer us for eight weeks. We wanted to reach out to have a conversation with him, see where he saw himself and where he saw us. And if we could figure out like what was the best for us, he didn't want to talk to us. Then he came out of the hole and said, I want to be traded to the Jets and didn't tell us that. Made it seem like, oh, man, I love the Packers. I want to stay there. I can't believe that they would want to move me. Yeah, selfish. Self-preservation. Aaron Rodgers is about Aaron Rodgers. And now he's going to the Jets where the Jets need him to be about the Jets. And he's still going to be about Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers is already a Hall of Famer. So Aaron Rodgers doesn't care if the Jets win a Super Bowl. He don't care. He's going to get his money. He's going to be the man. He's going to be the most talked about person in New York for two years if he decides to stay for two years. And after a year, he doesn't want to. I made an extra $60 million. I'm good to go. I'm out of here. And now you as the Jets gave up any compensation for him. And you got him for a year. And then what? 
Oh, that's right. The plan is for Zach Wilson to sit behind Aaron Rodgers for a year, learn how it's done, and then come back in. Well, I thought the problem with Zach Wilson was his immaturity. So you think this immature kid who was babied his entire life, who was the man his entire life, is now going to take being benched for Mike White and then being benched because you wanted to go out and trade and move heaven and earth to get Aaron Rodgers. And then you think you're just going to say, hey, man, your turn. You're, you ready now? You ready to go and put him back in there? He's going to be totally fine with that? No, no way. No shot. And even if he does go back in because it's the last year of his contract and he goes out there and balls out, do you think he's re-signing with you? No shot. It's over. The moment Aaron Rodgers leaves, if he even comes, you got no quarterback. Which is why I think the move should be to try to move up in this draft to get you one of them quarterbacks. Or go with Zach Wilson and hope that it falls apart and pick in the top five next year. <laughs> but still, no Aaron Rodgers. I'm trying to tell you, the longer this goes, I think the more annoyed the Jets become, the higher the expectation becomes on Aaron Rodgers. Like, he better do something now. Now the pressure ratchets up. Now it ratchets up. So, let's move on. So over the weekend, uh, we're going to take a little detour. Over the weekend, uh, uh, Caleb Plant fought David Benavidez uh, at super middleweight, which was these guys had bad blood. They didn't like each other. Trash talk was crazy. The intensity was there. This fight was, this fight lived up to the hype. Um, It was a great fight. But there was a moment in that fight, I would say probably around round eight, where for Caleb Plant, it was no longer about winning the fight. I think he knew in about the eighth round, there's nothing I can do to win this fight because Benavidez is just so big. Uh, six foot two. He's got like a 76 inch reach. Like his reach is crazy. He's strong. He's relentless. He's got a chin. So it's just like, Jesus, like, what are you going to do? Caleb Plant don't hit that hard. That's been the knock on Caleb Plant. He don't have the power. When he was going up against Canelo, the conversation was he's good enough skill wise, but I don't think he has the power to keep Canelo off him. So Canelo's just going to keep pressuring and pressuring and pressuring. Eventually, he's going to catch him and knock him out. And that's what happened. So in this fight, it was the same. It was the same. But the problem was Benavidez is just relentless and just on him the entire time. Couldn't move, cut off the ring very well. And I think in the eighth round, it was about I'm not going to touch the canvas. And I think you saw for Plant, he was getting beat around. In my opinion, from the eighth round on, Caleb Plant was getting his ass whooped. But he refused to touch the canvas. He didn't let his gloves touch the canvas. He didn't fall. He was determined just to last. And I think it was about respect for him. I think he wanted to earn the respect from Benavidez. And after the fight, it was super respectful. And I think a lot of that from Benavidez was, I can't continue to dis. This guy is way tougher than I thought he would be. He could take a punch way better than I thought he could. His heart, I can respect that because I have that same thing. And I think that's where the respect comes from. And I appreciate that. But the reason why I bring up this fight is because immediately after everyone turned to, well, who, who should he fight next? And everyone says, oh, you know. Canelo Alvarez is who needs to be he needs to fight next because he's Canelo's mandatory. Canelo's fighting John Ryder in May, and then he should come back in September and fight David Benavidez. And boxing fans will talk about how Canelo was ducking him. And I look at it and I say, Canelo's not ducking him. 
But Canelo's five foot nine. <laughs> Look, in every when you walk around, right? If I came up to you, right, and let's say you were five foot nine, and I said, "Hey, this six foot three guy wants to fight you." He's six foot three. He's big. He's got longer arms. He's bigger than you in every way. He's naturally bigger than you. He carries around more weight than you. He's bigger than you. He wants to fight you. Would you think, yeah, I'll fight him. Sure. Like, whatever. No. In every area of life, you think the bigger dude, I'm going to favor the bigger guy. Nobody wants to fight a bigger guy. Right? You don't want to go out there and fight the biggest guy. Right? So why in boxing do we think that somebody's ducking? Because, like, yo, maybe he just don't want to fight that dude. <laughs> like, maybe he just don't want to. But Canelo has come out and told you right from the jump, I'm about... Canelo is at the point now where he's already made a bunch of money. So he's going to get paid regardless because he's already built that name. Canelo's going to get paid for every fight he's in, no matter who he's fighting. So now Canelo has transferred over from trying to get the money to now saying, I want to fight for something because he's been fighting his entire life. So now the interest, he no longer gets interested in just fighting just to be fighting. He has to be fighting for something or chasing something. Which is why he wants the rematch with uh, Dimitri Bivol at light heavyweight. He's not ducking Benavidez if he's going to fight a light heavyweight. Bivol, the champion, undefeated at 175, who beat him soundly last time. He wants to fight him again. That's not ducking Benavidez. That's saying that Benavidez has nothing to give him. Benavidez is not bringing anything to the table except it would be a big fight because of money. But Canelo's like, I don't need the money. I would much rather go get that heavyweight title from that guy that just beat me and prove to myself and to the world that I can beat him. That's way more enticing than fighting this guy just because some fans want me to. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not betting against Canelo. If Canelo goes against Benavidez, I would pick Canelo. And the reason why is simple. I think if Caleb Plant hit hard, I think Benavidez is in trouble in that fight. Because I think he takes a bunch of hits. I think he, he's got a long torso. I think Canelo's going to eat up that body. I think if you pressure Benavidez back, I think he's there to be hit. I think someone with real power, I think they give Benavidez some trouble. I think you got to fight fire with fire. And I think the way Canelo fights would 100% feed right into that. It would be a firefight. It would be fantastic. I would pick Canelo. But I'm not going to say he's ducking Benavidez because he hasn't fought him yet. Because in the last like four years, Canelo's only been fighting people who were bringing belts to the table. And if he wasn't that, then he was moving up in weight. So he was fighting a guy to kind of get comfortable with the weight before he went and then got the belt. I don't know. I just thought it was funny that everyone, we talk about size and how big somebody is. Oh, you can't beat him. Look how big he is. But then you want little tiny Canelo to go fight Benavidez and said if he doesn't, then he's ducking. So what if he was? <laughs> Who cares? Moving on, let's get back into football and back into the draft. So I am still working on my draft coverage. I know I did the quarterbacks and I did the running backs. I'm still working on receivers and going through the different positions. And before the draft starts, I'll have a bonus episode um, dedicated to just draft talk. And just, you know, my rankings and where I put people. But as a Cowboys fan, I have to speak from the perspective of a Cowboys fan. And I will say, as a Cowboys fan, as we inch closer to the draft, I have one player that I am targeting that I am saying this should be the Cowboys' first pick in the first round. Okay? And that player is Darnell Washington, tight end from Georgia. 
And I know you say, oh, but why? Da, 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 da. They need so much other stuff. And I say, okay. Okay. I have logic. I'm not just saying it. I have logic. So number one, let's start with this. They have a few positions that they need. And what I would say need for me is not we could upgrade. That's not a need to me. That's like a bonus. So all along the defensive line, they have players. They have guys that were there last year that played last year. The defense was good last year. They can upgrade, sure. But if you're talking about edge rusher or you're talking about D tackle, those are deep positions in this draft. And you can find a good one because whoever you get is not going to start day one. Probably I would bet that whatever if you get an edge rusher, he's probably not starting day one. So that's number one. If you get a D tackle, he's probably not going to start day one. So he doesn't get the biggest impact on your team. Therefore, now you move to the next one. So now you say, okay, so what's the next position? Let's say cornerback. Okay, well, now that you traded for Stephon Gilmore, you now have Gilmore, Gilmore, Diggs. You got Deron Bland, who played well last year. And you have Jordan Lewis, who's a good slot corner. So you already have four corners. So the chances of your corner coming in day one and starting over any one of those four, not probably not going to happen. Right? So now you're talking about drafting your fifth corner, your fourth or fifth corner in the first round. Well, I think you can get a, a fourth or fifth corner in the second or third round. Let's talk about receiver. They could use a new receiver, right? Sure, but they got C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and now Brandon Cooks as your top three. And your fourth, you have Jalen Tolbert, who you drafted last year. So you would essentially be drafting your number four receiver in the first round. Well, I think you can get your fourth receiver in the second, third, fourth, or maybe even fifth round. I like Dontavian Wicks from uh, Virginia. I like him a lot as someone you could probably pick up in the fourth or fifth round. Quarterback is off the table because they're not going to draft one in the first round. That's silly. You have Dak. You have him locked up for the next few years. You're not going to do that. If you want to talk about running back, like you could take running back at 26. But I, I think the the consensus is unless Bijan Robinson falls to you at 26, you, you can probably get a really good running back in the second or third round. I personally would target Zach Evans out of Ole Miss with my number 58 pick. Or I will go ahead and target Sean Tucker from Syracuse with my third or fourth pick. That would be my game plan. I also like uh, Kendra Miller out of TCU. I think he's a guy that could come in and do very well. But again, you have running backs. So you don't, it's not like you're, you're not drafting your starter, right? Because you're picking at 26, you're probably getting a guy with a second round grade. But now I come to the position of tight end. And with Mike McCarthy coming out after the season saying next year they want to put more emphasis on running the ball. Well, Darnell Washington is the best blocking tight end in this draft. Some people would say the thing he does best is block. So now you're bringing in a tight end who could start from day one. And his skill, which you could utilize day one, is run blocking. Okay, so now you have now you have a use for him day one. Also, he's six foot seven, 260, 70 pounds, runs well, and is a pass catching threat who hasn't been maximized at Georgia because they had um, I can't remember the other guy's name. They have they have another tight end there who's like who's who's a little better and more fluid as a pass catcher, but in his opportunities, Washington did very well catching the ball. He doesn't fight the ball. He doesn't look like a guy who's bumbling and lumbering around. He's super athletic. He's a massive target. He could be a red zone nightmare. Dak Prescott, your quarterback, 
likes to throw the ball over the middle, especially when things start to break down. His check down right to the tight ends. That's why Dalton Schultz was so good for this team because Dak looked for him. I got to make a quick decision, throw it right to him. Well, what better thing to do than get a tight end who's six foot seven? A big old target. Right there in the middle. Dak, he right there. Go ahead and give it to him. His catch radius is good. He's got the great size. He doesn't have to break tackles. He doesn't have to get 90-yard touchdowns. He runs good routes. He's a really good player. But again, the biggest asset he's bringing you is in the blocking game. So in that area, what they've been struggling with is, yeah, we want a pass-catching tight end, but we also want a tight end that can run block. And instead of saying, well, Dalton Schultz can't run block, so take him off the field, bring in our other guy. It's like, well, now the defense knows that you're going to pass it or you're going to run it, depending on who's coming in at tight end. Darnell Washington solves that problem for you. That's why I think for me, my two options are this. I would pick him up at 26. I think he's a guy that comes in day one, improves a position, starts day one, and can improve this team immediately. I don't think there's another guy on the board at 26 that is going to do that for you to that capacity. And that's why I think my pick would be Darnell Washington. If I were picking, if it were up to me, if Jerry Jones had called me and said, hey, bro, what do you think we should do? I would say Darnell Washington should be the target. And I believe he's going to be there at 26. Now, if he's off the board, I would go with Dalton Kincaid. If he's off the board, I would go Michael Mayer. So I guess basically what I'm saying is tight end would be my position that I would be focused on in that first round because I think that's the position where a guy is going to come in and blow the doors off day one. I think because of how frequently Dak uses him, I think because of all this other stuff, I think it's important. I think that that's where that's that's where you're going to get your most value. Now I want to get into the meat and potatoes of what's going on here, and I want to talk about Lamar Jackson. I came in in the beginning of the year and I talked about Lamar Jackson and I said, hey, I said, I think Lamar Jackson's making a mistake. I think Lamar Jackson should take slightly less than whatever the top of the market is to stay with Baltimore because that franchise has been so well run for 20 years. You're going to be competitive every single year. So since the Ravens beat the Giants in the 2000 Super Bowl, they have been competitive every year. Like they are always in the mix. You never look at that franchise and say they are awful. Never. It's never. It doesn't happen. They are so well run. They are so well put together. They have such a clear vision of what they want to do. They never let things get too out of hand. And now apparently... He wanted some guarantees. The Ravens didn't want to guarantee everything for a long term. Apparently, they offered him three years. They're willing to guarantee three years, totaling $133 million. That's what he said. Now, I know it was like a five-year contract, but only three years of it was fully guaranteed. And then there were incentives and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And I would say that still sounds like a great deal. Because, again, you're staying with a franchise in which you're going to compete for a title as long as you're there. And if you are the difference maker, you say... You guys are going to be in contention every single year. Where else are you going to go that you can guarantee that? There's very few places you can go if you're Lamar Jackson that you could say, I can guarantee without a doubt I'm going to be in the mix every single year. Baltimore is one of them. But apparently Lamar Jackson wants 
somewhere in the neighborhood of what Deshaun Watson got. And that was $230 million fully guaranteed. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. So first, we have to talk about what, what why, are the, why is the guarantee so important? And the reason why is because in the NFL, the history has been, we will sign you for a seven-year, $500 million contract, but we're only going to guarantee the first two years. So, for example, Patrick Mahomes, who, in my opinion, did it right, signed a 10-year, $477 million contract. And you say, whoa, wow. But unlike baseball and basketball, where those contracts are guaranteed, only 63 of the 477 million was guaranteed. And then after that, there's a rolling guarantee, which essentially boils down to, I think, after like the 63 million guaranteed, after that, it becomes guaranteed at certain checkpoints. So basically, if they cut him at a certain point, they wouldn't be on the hook for any money. But if you're Mahomes, you're saying, look, I'm going to play for 10 years. And with this franchise, the way they conduct business and the way they continuously put a winner on the field, I'm going to be in contention. So I'm going to be here. And I don't think they're going to cut me within the next 10 years. So I'm going to take that deal. Why? Because that helps the franchise. It helps the franchise say we're not strapped now financially because you can play with it on the cap. You can like convert it into a signing bonus to where you can give him his 50 million, but only 1.2 counts against the cap. You can do all types of funky stuff to make the cap work, but that's what Mahomes did. So it's a big number. So if he plays out the 10 years, he's going to get 477, but the team is only agreeing to pay him guaranteed 63. And after that, it becomes a prove it every year. And Mahomes said, I'm cool with that. Why? Because I know this team is going to have me in a position to win a Super Bowl every year. And guess what? He's won two Super Bowls. Two. Won two Super Bowls and has gone to three. And they still have the cap room needed to improve the team. Because he's not eating all the cap with his guaranteed contract. Right? So that's how the contracts work. So Deshaun Watson last year was getting traded from the Texans because they were done with him. They were like, we don't want this guy anymore. It's a headache. It's a massive problem. He's got his legal issues with the sexual uh, misconduct case and all that other stuff. We got to get rid of him. The Browns, being who the Browns are, a terribly run franchise, which we all agree they are a mess. They are a dumpster fire. They are garbage franchise. They decided, hey, we don't want anyone else to get him, so we'll do something crazy. We'll offer, we'll guarantee his whole contract. $230 million guaranteed. Just tell him we'll pay it. The whole thing, guaranteed. And everyone looked at it and said, what a terrible idea. What a terrible mistake. What a terrible, terrible thing. Every fan, every person on this, nobody thought, wow, good. That's a good deal. That's smart by them. Everyone thought it was stupid. Everyone thought you're no one else. Like he, he had a four year extension that didn't start yet. You were trading for him. So you traded him and gave him more money. That don't make no sense. Everyone thought it was stupid. But now a year later, we want Lamar Jackson. We're saying, pay him. He deserves to get paid. Pay him. He deserves to get that. He should be paid more than Deshaun Watson. That's true. But Deshaun Watson shouldn't have got $230 million guaranteed. That can't be the precedent now. For those of you saying, yeah, but what about Joe Burrow? He's going to get $200 million guaranteed. Yeah, he's been to a Super Bowl. Yeah, he came into a Bengals franchise, which was dog do. 
And now they are considered Super Bowl favorites or in the top three to get to the Super Bowl. If like every year for the foreseeable future, you are not looking at the Bengals and saying they got no chance to make it to a Super Bowl. And part of that is because of their quarterback play. And let's be honest. Here we go. I have to ask the question. How good is Lamar Jackson really? Now, I know, I know, coming out of college, there, there, there were, uh, who was the guy? Oh, man, I can't remember the guy's name, the ex-GM who said Lamar Jackson should convert to wide receiver. He's not a quarterback. And because of that, we all got a soft spot for Lamar Jackson and said, man, that's not right. Don't take away the kid's dream before giving him a chance to see what he could do. So coming into the NFL, Lamar Jackson was on the hook to say, hey, you're you're not good enough to be a quarterback. So when we saw him play quarterback well, we said, whoa, this guy's really good. But let me tell you, let me let me ask a few questions, okay? And here's what I would say. One of the reasons why I said take a little less money, stay in Baltimore, do this, and then I said be careful going and fighting for more money or doing all this other stuff, I said because the minute you get that massive contract, expectations change. Scrutiny changes now everything you do is picked apart and guess what is happening right now you are now causing people to pick apart your entire career to determine what are you actually worth and i blame you silly sports fans silly football fans for being so short-sighted for being so biased towards guys you like that you can't be objective if i offer lamar jackson a five-year deal worth, I don't know, $220 million, and I'm willing to guarantee 133 of that, $133 million guaranteed, I think that is more than fair for what Lamar Jackson is. And I'll tell you why. Let's start, let's go back in time to my favorite player. Let's go back to Tony Romo. That's right, I'm going all the way back to Tony Romo. Guess what Tony Romo got? In 2013, they signed him to a six-year, $108 million contract with $55 million guaranteed. Do you remember? I remember very vividly because I remember the outrage from sports fans. I remember the outrage from ESPN. Let's pull up a quote from Donovan McNabb who said $55 million for one playoff win? Wow. Yeah, the conversation was he's got one playoff win and you paying him $55 million guaranteed? Fast forward. Lamar Jackson has exactly one playoff win, one and three in his career in the playoffs. And he wants 200 million guaranteed. And no one's looking around saying, is he kidding? 200 million guaranteed for one playoff win. Now, I know. I know he's better than Tony Romo, right? No, he's not. No, based on what metric? Because you think Tony Romo can't get it done in the playoffs, right? That was a big knock on Tony Romo. Did you know that Tony Romo has a 93 QB rating in the playoffs? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, 93. Do you want to know what Lamar Jackson's QB rating is in the playoffs? 68. And did you know that that's 28.4 percentage points lower than his regular season average? So in the playoffs, his quarterback rating drops by 28 points. That is the fifth largest drop-off in NFL history of any player. Yeah, yeah, Tony Romo couldn't get it done in the playoffs, and his rating was 93. 
Your boy, Lamar Jackson, drops all the way down to a 68. And he deserves $200 million? I know, it's not all his fault. But do you know he has five, five interceptions? In four playoff games, he's thrown five interceptions. Do you know that Tony Romo only threw two interceptions in the playoffs in his career? In six playoff games, two. Lamar Jackson already has more interceptions and a lower quarterback rating than Tony Romo in the playoffs. But you... Wouldn't think twice about giving Lamar Jackson $200 million and you look at Tony Romo and say he can't get it done in the big games. You think Lamar can? Based on what? Okay, let's keep going. There's another guy. There's another guy you all say can't get it done in big games. Nope, can't count on him. Okay, in five playoff games, this player has a 93.7 rating, and has only thrown one interception in five playoff games. 93.7 quarterback rating, and only one interception in five playoff games. But he's got a 1-4 record, so he can't get it done. No, 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 he can't get it done. (coughs) That's what you're trying to sell me on. You want to know who that player is? That player is Kirk Cousins. That's right. Kirk Cousins has a higher quarterback rating in the playoffs than Lamar Jackson and has thrown four less interceptions in the playoffs than Lamar Jackson. But you wouldn't bat an eye. You wouldn't hesitate at all to say Kirk Cousins is no good, overrated, doesn't get it done in big games. And yet he's outperformed Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. Hmm. That's interesting to me. Do you know that for his career? Kirk Cousins has a higher completion percentage. Actually, I won't even do that. Let's do this. My point for bringing up these other two players is I think Lamar Jackson is far closer to the guys that you all think are no good than he is to the guys you think are great. So if you want to compare him to an upper echelon guy, you know I think Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the NFL. I think think he's one of the few guys that you can give $200 million to and you could justify by saying, yeah, look what he's done. Look where you project him to be. He's far better than Lamar Jackson in any metric. Far better. Came into a worse situation, a worse franchise, and has completely changed the way you look at that franchise. We don't look at the Ravens differently because they have Lamar Jackson. And I'll prove that in a moment. But let's let's say, so Lamar Jackson has been playing, he's been a starting quarterback since 2018. In that time period, would you say he's a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins? You would, right? And look at the numbers. Lamar Jackson is completing 64% since he came into the league in 2018. 12,209 yards, 101 touchdowns, and 38 picks. With a quarterback rating of 96.7. That's really good. He's definitely better than Kirk Cousins. Until you look at Kirk Cousins is completing 68%. That's higher. He's got 20,934 yards. That's 8,000 more yards in the same time frame. He's got 153 touchdowns. Well, that's that's 52 more touchdowns in the same time frame. We're not talking about his career. We're talking about in the same time frame. Since 2018, Kirk Cousins is outperforming Lamar Jackson in every metric you judge a quarterback by, including quarterback rating. They both have one playoff win in the same time period. But you would say... Lamar Jackson runs the ball, though. Oh, I agree with you. He does. And that's why in the last two seasons, he didn't finish the season. So going forward, if I'm going to pay you $200 million, 
I have to tell you, back it off a little bit with the running. Guess what the Buffalo Bills are doing this year? They're saying, hey, hey, Josh Allen, take take a step back with the running. We don't want you to run as much. We want to preserve you. Yeah, we you can't you can't run all the time. You're going to get hurt. It is the way it goes. There's a reason why running backs last for three or four years and quarterbacks play for 15 to 16 because you're not taking the physical abuse play after play after play after play. Now, if you're Lamar Jackson and you're running the wall a bunch, you will. So now you're going to have to ask him to take a step back. So I know you're probably screaming at your at your speaker, you're just screaming at your radio, screaming at your TV. I don't know what you're watching this on or listening to this on, but you're probably in your car screaming. Or you're at work with your earbuds in and you're screaming saying, I'm an idiot. I know. I compared Lamar Jackson to Tony Romo and Kirk Cousins. I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying Kirk Cousins is a perfect example of a guy you all would say is trash and doesn't get it done. And then in the next breath, we'll be arguing for Lamar Jackson to get the contract that he wants. Give him what he's worth. Well, if Lamar Jackson at one and three in the playoffs with more with a worse uh, QB rating than Kirk Cousins and more interceptions in the playoffs than Kirk Cousins, what's Kirk Cousins worth? Do you think he's worth two hundred million? Because if I looked at this metric, I would say, hey, he's he's outperforming him in every category. He's outperforming him. So should he get two hundred million guaranteed? You would be you would be throwing up if somebody gave Kirk Cousins two hundred and forty million dollars fully guaranteed. You would be saying, "What an idiot!" They're already you're, if you're if you're you're already saying they should go out and get a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, but yet you're going to throw on a cape and defend Lamar Jackson as if he deserves more than one hundred and thirty million guaranteed over three years. Now, oddly enough, oddly enough, I looked at it and I said, "Man." I think Lamar Jackson, how good is Lamar Jackson? And is Lamar Jackson worth, is he worth, is he the reason the Ravens are so good? So I went back to when he started in the NFL in 2018, his rookie year. Here's what the Ravens defense was ranked in yards per game against. So here's where they ranked in total defense since 2018. In 2018, they were number one. In 2019, they were number four. In 2020, they were seventh. In 2021, they fell all the way down to 25th. We'll talk about that in a second. In 2022, they were number 10. So in four of his five years, he had a top 10 defense. Now I know that's just yards, right? For some reason, total defense is all about just how much yards you give up a game. But nope, yards don't win or lose games. It's about points. So where did they rank in the NFL in points in points allowed they were number two in 18 and mind you this is for it starts from you get number one is the team who gives up the least amount of points in case you thought like where do you rank in terms of i give up the second most no 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 this is who gives up the least points per game in 2018 they were number two they gave up the second fewest points per game in the nfl 2019, they were third. 2020, they went back to second. 2021, they dropped all the way down to 20. Again, we will get to that in a second. And in 2022, they were number three in the league in points allowed. That means in four of the five seasons Lamar Jackson has been a starting quarterback, the Ravens have been top five in scoring defense. Top five defense in four of his five seasons. And in the one year... 
I said we get back to it. And the one year they ranked 25th in yards and 20th in scoring, they were 8 and 9. That's the worst record he's had in his career. It's the only time they've been under 500. And coincidentally, it was his worst season. Now, my question would be, do you think the record is reflective of his poor play? Or do you think his poor play is reflective of the fact that the defense wasn't so good? And if Lamar Jackson can't perform because his defense isn't top-notch, then what does that say about Lamar Jackson? Is that worth $200 million? That's my question. So I looked at it, and I have a brother. He said to me, yeah, but he's so much better. They can't score without him. So I went and I did the math. I looked up their offensive rank in terms of points. So in 2018, they were the 13th. In 2019, they were first in the league. In 2020, they were seventh in the league. In 2021, they were 17th. In 2022, they were 19th in the league in scoring. Mind you, 2019 was the year that he won MVP, and he had a great season. He really did. But other than that, they're only one top 10 offense in scoring in five years, right? Other than that, like, you know, not that great. And then I said, hmm. What are they scoring-wise with and without him? So without Lamar Jackson, they average 17 points a game as a team. It's pretty low. You're going to lose a lot of games doing it that way. With him, they score an average of 23 points a game. That is a six-point difference. Is six points worth $200 million? That's my question. Now, mind you, we're only doing all this scrutiny and picking all this apart because he wants this money. He used the terms, pay me my value. Well, what is your value? How do you determine your value? If you're a fan who says, yeah, but he he's won, he wins 70% of his games, 80% of his games. Yeah, with a top five defense. How many quarterbacks in the NFL could you put on the Ravens right now and they would still win the same amount of games? <clears throat> that's That's the question we need to ask. Are you irreplaceable? If you are replaceable, then we're not going to sell. We're not going to give you anything you want. It's not a blank check because we feel like we can replace you. If we can't replace you, if you're irreplaceable, then we got to open it up. So then I coming out of my brain, I said some crazy comment. I said Lamar Jackson and I texted this to my brother. I said, you take away the rushing. And I know everyone's going to say, oh, but that's such a big part of his game. But for how long? How long do you think Lamar Jackson can carry it as much as he was? How long do you think he can run the way he ran before his body breaks down? Because guess what? Cam Newton won. Cam Newton won an MVP as well and then fell off a cliff. Why? Because physically he broke down. Started suffering more and more injuries. And if I'm paying you $200 million, I don't want you running the ball that much. I don't. I don't want you running the ball that much. So going forward... You would expect his rushing attempts to go down. So now I said, I said, I texted this to my brother and to my best friend in our group chat. I said, take away the running and Lamar Jackson is Daniel Jones. <gasps> Ooh, yes, I said it. Take away the rushing and you just look at their passing numbers. He's Daniel Jones. And we all scoffed at the idea of Daniel Jones getting what? 160 million guaranteed is what it was. Right? Something like 80 million, something like that. I don't even remember now, but it was stupid. We all thought it was crazy that he was getting $40 million a year. 
And I just said, I didn't even, I didn't look up any numbers. I didn't look up any evidence. I didn't look up. I just looked and said that that's what it is. And you're all probably sitting there screaming again, saying Lamar Jackson is way better than Daniel Jones. Well, I believe, I believe when you're judging someone like this, actually, let's not say that. Let's not say that. Let's look at the numbers straight up. Let's start with this. They've each played, oddly enough, because Daniel Jones has played four seasons. Lamar Jackson has played five. So let's take out Lamar Jackson's rookie season. Let's just take it out. Okay? Take it out. Take it out of there. Right? Because that's that's an extra season. And quite frankly, that was Lamar Jackson's worst season. He, had, he put up the least amount of production. Okay? So now if you take that season out, that's his rookie year, didn't do anything great in that year, and you just say, in four seasons, they've each played the same amount of games, 54. Now we're talking about Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones. Now look, you you guys know the conversation about Daniel Jones, right? Daniel Jones we think is, is not very good, we think shouldn't have got paid the money he got paid, we think the Giants are stupid, we think they should go, right? We all agree, right? Okay, just make, I just want you to know who we're talking about. Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones have played the same amount of games over the course of the last four years, and that's 54. They are both completing 64%. Daniel Jones has 11,603 passing yards. Lamar Jackson has 11,008. Daniel Jones wins in that column. Their yards per attempt, Lamar Jackson is 7.4. Daniel Jones is 6.7. Very close. Not the biggest thing. It's within a yard. Like I'm not that mad at that. Right? That that That's okay. It's about a yard away. Like it's That's whatever. Now, where Lamar wins is 95 touchdowns, but we'll talk about in a second. And Daniel Jones has 60. Interceptions. Lamar Jackson has 37. Daniel Jones has 34. Now, that's just their passing because, again, you're taking out both guys rushing. Because going forward, I don't think either guy is going to be rushing the same way they did. That would be stupid. I'm not paying you $200 million plus million to run around like you did before. That makes no sense. So looking at that. He's very close to Daniel Jones. Now, let's talk about the touchdowns. He's got 95 touchdowns. If you look at Lamar Jackson's career and his production, 2019 when he won the MVP sticks out like a sore thumb. It is the only season he's thrown for 3,000 yards. That's right. Every other year he's throwing for less than 3,000 passing yards. That's low. Every other year he's never had 30 more, 30 or more touchdowns. That year he had 36. So guess what? Let's take out that year which is clearly an outlier. It is it is so far and away better than any other season he's had. It is so, like when you look at it, it is 10 more touchdown passes than he's had in any other year. It is like a thousand more yards than he's had in any other year. The QB rating is like 40 points high. Like it's crazy how much better that year is than every other year. I'm not paying you four years later because, I'm not paying you because four years ago you had a really great season. I'm gonna pay you for what your averages are. Because I'm not going to bank on that one great year you had being what you're going to do now on. I'm going to say if you had that one great year in 2019 and then three seasons since, you've kind of been pretty consistent. I'm going to say that the three years since is probably more indicative of what I'm paying for. So if you take out that year, he has far less passing yards and he has 59 passing touchdowns, one less than Daniel Jones in the same amount of games. Which would say Daniel Jones completes just as many passes as Lamar Jackson, gets more yards than Lamar Jackson, and throws more touchdowns than Lamar Jackson, and throws less interceptions than Lamar Jackson, which 
any other place you measure this would say that he's a little better than Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. Guys, I'm not paying $200 million for a guy who doesn't put up better passing numbers than Daniel Jones. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So I then said, you know what? The true way to judge a player is to take their best year and their worst year and throw them out. Just throw them out. Just say, hey, get rid of it. Your best year, that was obviously your best year. That's not That's not what you are. That was just a, that was your high point. That we, we'll take that. We're not going to count that against you or for you. And on the same way, your worst year, we're going to take that out too. <coughs> we're going to say, you know what? Take out your worst season too. And then we'll just see what you are basically. So he's played five years. We're going to take out his first year, which is his rookie year, which he put up the least amount of production because he was a rookie. We get it. And then we're going to take out his MVP season, which was the next year, because that's that's the high point. He's, he's never reached that again. Like, he's never matched that. So we'll take those two out. So on average, what you're going to get from Lamar Jackson is a 64% completion, 2,627 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. That's what you're going to get every year. That's what the That's what the other three years of his career average out to. 2,600 yards, 20 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 64% completion. That is not unreal. That is not unbelievable. That is not amazing. That is not what that that's that's okay. That's solid. That's a solid quarterback right there. Just right down the middle, solid. Right? You would all agree. By any metric we're looking at it, that's a solid player. Not a guy you think you need to pay $200 million guaranteed to. You wouldn't, because if his name wasn't Lamar Jackson, if his name was Tony Romo, you would look at that and say, no way you're paying that guy $200 million guaranteed. If it were Kirk Cousins, you wouldn't say pay him $200 million guaranteed, although I can promise you Kirk Cousins' numbers are far better than that. Look at Daniel Jones. Do the same for him. Take away his best and his worst. So his best season and his worst season. And here's what you have. Daniel Jones, on average, will get you 62% completion, 2,400 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. For those of you who are counting, Lamar Jackson will throw two more touchdowns on average than Daniel Jones and only one less interception. And they both have one playoff win in their resume. On what planet does Daniel Jones deserve grief or laughter, or hate for his massive contract, but those same people are going to say, pay Lamar what he wants. Guys, we have to be honest. Lamar Jackson is not worth $200 million, guaranteed. He's not. Lamar Jackson is worth exactly what they offered him. They offered him a contract that would allow him to get to that $200 million number, But he would have to earn that after a certain period of time because they have reason to believe he may not make it there. He's missed. He's played 12 games each of the last two seasons. That's missing five games every season. He's missed 10 games the last two years. So if I think I'm going to have Lamar Jackson for 12 games. Guys, what, what what am I doing? I can't I can't guarantee you your contract if you can't guarantee you're gonna give me 17 games. 
If I have to factor in you're going to miss some games every year, like I can't pay you guaranteed money. This is not a disrespect or respect thing. This is not a black or white thing. This is not you would give Joe Burrow that but not Lamar. No, this is your greatest asset. We all agree Lamar Jackson's greatest asset is not his passing. Can he get it done? Sure. To what level, though? Because the numbers are right in front of you. Take away his rushing and judge him just on his passing. And you say, but you can't do that. I can. Because every running quarterback that got another big deal was asked to run a little less. Run a little less. We can't have you running around risking injury because we now have invested so much money in you. You think Jalen Hurts is going to get paid and they're going to say, yeah, keep running the ball. We don't care. No, you protect your investment now. You know why? You know why Joe Burrow is going to get the money that he wants right up front? Because Joe Burrow doesn't run the ball around risking himself getting injured. Because Joe Burrow tore his ACL and came back earlier than he needed to. There's a level of commitment there, a level of understanding, a level of maturity, a level of we know we can count on this guy to sit in the pocket and get us to a Super Bowl. We're not worried about is he going to be healthy the whole year. We're confident that the way he plays, if he gets injured, he's getting injured in the pocket. We can live with that. You can't avoid that. It is football. You are going to get hurt if you play. You are going to get hurt or whatever. It happens. Those are freak injuries. It's not that he was running for an 80-yard run and pulled a hammy and can't come back now. It's not, hey, he's running the ball on QB sneaks and QB options and, hey, you know, RPOs, what are we going to do? Like, you're going to cut that out a little bit. You're going to cut that out a little bit. And you're going to say, we need you to play more from the pocket. And when you look at what he's done from the pocket for his career, he's right on pace with Daniel Jones. And nobody in this world is screaming Daniel Jones should get $200 million guaranteed. So I'm on the side of the Ravens. So here it is. I laid it out for you. I laid it all out for you. I gave you examples of guys who did it right, like Patrick Mahomes. He's going to get his money, but he's going to get it in a way where it's like $63 million. That's great. But now my team is always going to have winners on the field because they can keep loading up around me because I'm not eating up all the cap. I gave you Tony Romo got his money and you all scoffed at it and said Tony Romo can't do nothing. I explained to you that Lamar Jackson has a massive drop off in his production when it comes to the playoffs. Massive drop off. Fifth worst, fifth biggest drop off in NFL history. That's Lamar Jackson. He's thrown more interceptions in the postseason than Kirk Cousins and Tony Romo combined. And those are two guys you say can't get it done in a big spot. But for some reason, you think Lamar Jackson can. I already told you that the Ravens have had a top 10 or Scoring defense and defense and total defense, top 10 and five and, and four of his five seasons as a starter. So the defense has been producing, giving him every opportunity to win games. So the win losses, you can put a lot of guys in it. You know, what? let's go down the list. Patrick Mahomes would win in Baltimore. Joe Burrow would win in Baltimore. I think uh, mm, I'm not going to go through the list. It's a lot of guys. <laughs> let's just put it simple. I think, here's what I'm going to say. If you put Baker Mayfield in Baltimore, I think Baker Mayfield could win games too in Baltimore. I think their team is set up to say, hey, quarterback, come in, hold it down. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl there because all he had to do was say, we got the number one defense. I just got to hold it down on offense. Just don't blow it. Our defense is going to keep us in the games. Just don't blow it. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl there because the defense was legit. Just don't blow it. That's what they need Lamar to do. 
That's why Brett Hundley could go in there and get within a freak defensive play against the Bengals. He can get up that close to winning a playoff game. And then he, Brett Hundley, would have the same amount of playoff wins as Lamar Jackson. Why am I paying him $200 million guaranteed when I can get Brett Hundley for $20 million guaranteed? That's the question I have. That's the question I ask. And that's why I would say I don't think he's worth the money. And that's it. And that, that's all it comes down to. So if you're asking me, hey, man, I don't, I don't really get it, but I laid it out there for you. I made the case. Now you decide which way you want to go. You can, you can debate me if you'd like to. I would love that. I'd love to hear what you guys think. But uh, that's my time, y'all. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through. Uh, I hope that I detailed all of this great. I know some people are probably going to misunderstand it and say that I'm saying Kirk Cousins is better and Daniel Jones is better than Lamar Jackson. And maybe I am. I don't know. But either way, I appreciate y'all coming through. Uh, listen, next week, we're going to touch more on the draft. Um, we're going to get into some prospects. We'll probably go over receivers next week, maybe do a mock draft, maybe do what we did last year with the NFC mock draft. We'll probably have an extra episode coming out next week, detailing some, maybe doing some mock draft stuff there for those of you who aren't into it. But look, we didn't even get into the uh, the college basketball tournament. But honestly, after the first two days, does anybody really care? It really loses its steam after the first two days. We have games on every hour on the hour. But whatever. Uh, we'll get into some of that next week when we find out who's the uh, the winner, who won the whole thing. And then I'll give you my thoughts on the tournament and certain things like how I think John Calipari is not really a great coach. Ooh, yeah. We'll get into it next week. Uh, <laughs> listen, I want y'all to uh, follow me on social media at cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D on all social media platforms. Check me out on YouTube. I got some stuff up on there, um, some bonus content, some some a little more elaborate on stuff that maybe I didn't touch on on the show. We'll be dealing with that on there. And uh, hit me up, comment, comment. Uh, let me know. Let's get the community built up. Let's keep this conversation going. I'll see y'all next week.